Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Last week we were looking at uh, seeking truth and avoiding error and looking at how we as a church uh, try and study God's Word and the things that we look for and and uh, we did cover some of that uh, last week and we're going to cover a little more this week but the the one of the last things that we said last week was the truth of Scripture is not based on who is reading it but on how they are reading it hey, can you mirror the front to the back for me that'd be helpful um, so that we, it's how we read it that makes the difference, not who is reading it, because we're supposed to read it the same way. We're supposed to look for the same things. And so uh, last week we looked at part of our methodology for reading and studying and understanding the scripture. And if you weren't with us last week, you can uh, watch that video on our YouTube channel or you can listen to the podcast uh, through our podcast information for that available through our website and, and you can get to links to both of those. And uh, it's important that we know what to do when we open God's word because there's a lot of misinformation out there and we wanna try and do it accurately. And we're not saying that we're the only ones who know the secret. No, anybody can do it. Anybody can look at it, but we have to do it accurately. So um, this morning we're looking at the fact that all the scriptures are interconnected. We call it context. We're going to look at some things about context. Have you ever had somebody just walk up to you and start a conversation as if they're in the middle of a conversation and you miss the first half? I, I know you've experienced that. I, well, I know most of the people in this room have. All of the ladies have experienced that, right? Uh, your husband starts talking and he's been, it's been playing in his head and so he just kind of assumes you knew what was going on up there, even though God's the only one who knows what's going on up there, right? Uh, but we, we get, we have to put things in context. Megan and I do that to each other in the office all the time. She'll start talking about something and I look at her and she says, right, right, context. And then she uh, connects it and I'll do the same to her. And she'll look at me and say, context. And, all right, we're gonna look this morning, uh, first of all, just for a little bit at 1 Thessalonians chapter two. And then we're gonna turn to Jeremiah and then I'm gonna have some other scriptures up on the screen. Now, the most important thing you get from all the studying of scripture is to learn that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the one and only savior and you need to put your faith and trust in him, asking him to forgive your sins and save your soul. And guess what? He's the savior. That's what he does. He does save you if you call to him. So it doesn't matter what a mess you've made of your life. Uh, when my wife got saved, she was just a sweet, kind, young little girl, and she trusted Christ, and she hadn't made a mess of her life. I was still relatively young. I was a teenager, but I'd made a pretty good mess of my life, according to my parents. 
my siblings, my probation officer. Uh, you know, I, I really had some struggles in my life and Christ saved me. We get saved the exact same way. Whether you're a nice person or you're rotten, you get saved by trusting Jesus Christ. You need your sins forgiven because all of our righteousness, the best of us, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags in the eyes of God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So reading and understanding the Bible, the most important thing you need to get is I need to trust Jesus Christ as my savior. But there's other things that are lesser important, but still important. For instance, you would have a big problem here this morning if you stopped breathing. Okay? You can go without eating for more than a month. You can go without drinking for several days. You can only go without breathing for a couple minutes or you're out into eternity. So salvation's the most important thing. It's like breathing. But there's other things that are healthy eating habits spiritually that we need to bring in our understanding of scripture. Does that put it in perspective well enough? Except now you're all hungry and so you're like, can I finish so I can go eat? Okay, yes I will, but not yet. All right, uh, Second Thessalonians, sorry, First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two, look in verse 10. Paul's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica and he says, you are witnesses and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted, that's encouraging people, and comforted and charged, that's instructing them, every one of you as a father does his own children. Hey, dads, just time out there for just a minute if you're a dad. Notice he doesn't start with instruction. That's third. He starts with encouraging and then comforting and then instructing. That's a good order to follow if you have kids. All right, uh, every one of you as a father does his own children. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So they received the message as the very word of God. And that's how we need to approach the scripture. This is not just some words on a page put together by some people. This is God's message for all people for all time. Some of it's more applicable to us. Uh, one of the things we looked at last week is about an ox. And hey, none of us have an ox in our backyard. If you do, you don't live in the city limits or you're breaking the law. Uh, there's rules for what you can have in your backyard. Although some people's kids are way more dangerous than an ox would be, but you know, <laughs> just saying. So uh, we need to put things together. We need to understand. We need to look at the scripture accurately. Now, uh, I happen to be colorblind. It's, it's a minor issue in the world, but it, it produces some really funny moments for us 
And several years ago, I picked up a football and I said to my son-in-law, I'm gonna hit you with the big green ball. And he said, what green ball? I said, the football. And he said, Dad, footballs aren't green. They're brown. I said, what? They look just like the grass. And everybody says the grass is green. He said, they don't look like the grass at all. Uh, okay. I have extremely limited color perception, less than 8% of what the average person can see. And the average person can't see much in the color spectrum, you know, just a little bit. Uh, but I can't see it right, no matter what I do. But when it comes to understanding the scripture, everybody can see it right. Everybody can learn. Uh, they do have some special glasses that some people who are colorblind can put on. They're tinted certain ways and it allows them to see color. And my kids were going to buy me a set. And I was, I thought that was pretty cool. And so I went and I did the online test and they said, basically, dude, you're hopeless. Uh, so, you know, Kathy said, I could have told them that without the test. No, <laughs> she didn't really say that. But, but everybody can gain a proper perspective of scripture. And one of the tools we use is called context. So this morning we're gonna look at some rules for context because no part of the scripture should be separated all by itself. No verse stands alone. So here's the first rule of context and that is each verse is connected to what came before and what comes after. So you've got a verse, and it, some people like pull this verse out and say, oh, this is what it means, and they ignore what went before it and what went after it, and yet all of it fits together. So let's, let's look at an illustration that's often used in our culture, okay? Uh, turn to Jeremiah, please, chapter 29. And when I say this is used in our culture, I mean... In Christian culture, it's uh, used by believers, it's quoted all the time and misquoted because they only look at part of, they pull this verse out of it. So Jeremiah 29, and uh, remember, each verse is connected to what comes before and what comes after. But, but for right now, I want you just to look at this verse all by itself. Don't read anything else. We'll get there in a little bit. All right, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know those thoughts, and, and God's planning a future for them. So don't read on, don't read what came before. Yeah, we'll get there, okay? Um, so people have this idea from this verse that God has great plans for each believer, each individual believer, which happens to be true, but they also think that those plans will be comfortable and filled with blessings, which is not necessarily true. Actually, remember what Jesus told Ananias in Damascus? He said, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Saul. And Jesus said, I'm gonna show him what great things he must enjoy for my name's sake. Is that what he said? No. no. He said, what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wait, wait. But I thought God wanted life to be great. You know, God is not your lucky charm. 
Uh, God sometimes allows you to endure and to suffer. And so uh, it, from this verse, people get this idea that everything's supposed to be wonderful, and yet that's not exactly what God planned for Saul. And God does have great plans for us. But sometimes those great plans also include great suffering. Look at the lives of the prophets all throughout the Old Testament and even in the first five books of the New Testament, the, the pro they suffered, some of them, greatly. Look at the lives of the apostles. In fact, if history is correct, the only one of the apostles who did not die by being put to death was the apostle John. And before he died in old age, he suffered being boiled alive and being exiled to the Isle of Patmos, a horrible condition, brutal, harsh area designed to exterminate people. They just put him out there so they would die. And so John survived both of those before he finally died of old age. So. Uh, what we need to do is realize that Christians in America do not have a promise from God that life will always be good based on Jeremiah 29.11. No, actually, that's not even what that verse is saying if you put it in its context. So uh, look ahead or earlier to verse 4. Um, and this is where this passage starts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. The Babylonian army had come in, they had taken people away from uh, the nation of Judah, and they had hauled them off to Babylon as captives, as slaves. And that went on several times. The biggest one was uh, about 586 BC. But there were several times they came and they took people away. And that's what Babylon did. They conquered nations and they took away a bunch of people and left a few uh, to uh, take care of things there. But see, the prophets were now telling the false prophets that God's going to deliver us and God's going to take us home. And God said, Actually, that's not what's going on. Look in verse 5. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. That takes a while, doesn't it? Take wives and beget sons and daughters. That takes a while too. And take wives for your sons and daughters. That takes a little longer. So that they, you, they may bear sons and daughters. Well, now your grandparents. Now, I mean, you've been there. You've built a house. You've planted a garden. You've reaped the fruit. You've gotten married. You've had kids. Your kids have had kids. This is like a long time. Goes by in a blink of an eye, but, but it's still a long time. And then he says, the end of verse 6, that you may not, I'm sorry, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. All right, you have been taken prisoner and you have been hauled off to a foreign land. And now I want you to make that city a peaceful place. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear doom and destruction on these people who have kidnapped us and hauled us off. And uh, let's go back to Judah for peace and safety. But that's not the Lord's plan. And then uh, uh, in the end of verse 7 again, for in its peace you will have peace. 
See, we, we here in America, we live in a culture that is increasingly anti-God and specifically anti-Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who don't mind talking about God, but once you talk, start talking about Jesus Christ, the only time they want to hear his name is in a curse word. They don't want to hear about Jesus. And so sometimes there's uh, problems that we have in our culture. Okay, even in this culture, Americans should strive to be peacemakers. We should strive to bring God's peace into our culture. And, and yes, there are times we have to stand against what's wrong. Uh, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. But the methodology we use is not the methodology of the world. We stand with courage, we stand with love, but we still stand against those things. Okay, look in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your, the false prophets, your prophets and your diviners who are in, the, in your midst deceive you. Don't let those guys there telling you the wrong stuff. Don't let them deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. Don't, don't even listen to the dreams of your heart, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them says the Lord. There's false preachers today. There's false teachers all over the place. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And then you will, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to a place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Now, Kathy reminded me that the last time I actually preached on this passage from Jeremiah, uh, Todd was in the service, and Todd had, was just about to get his driver's license. And I used the illustration that what if Tim said to Todd, Todd, you're going to get your driver's license, and I'm going to let you drive in 70 years. <laughs> and Todd says, no! <laughs> Okay, I've got a different illustration today. Uh, do you guys recognize this couple here? <laughs> Dan and Barbara, how many years have you guys been married? Uh, 65, I think. Oh, I thought it was 67. It's 65? Okay. 58? 66 this year. So, yeah, you're 65 now. All right, so... I mean, Dan and Barbara, if they haven't been married 70 years yet. You didn't know I still had that picture, did you? <laughs> we, we used it in Trek. Barbara gave it to me one night in Trek, and we surprised Dan. We had pictures all around the room of him through the years because his birthday was on that Awana night. And so all the kids got to see pictures of him. I mean, they were really, really old pictures way back when he was cute. And all the way up to the handsome man that he now is, okay? But 
But can you imagine, just, just put in your head, Dan and Barbara as newlyweds, and they hear God say, get married, have some kids, raise those kids, have some grandkids, and you're still gonna be in bondage in another clan, in another culture. Now, in our culture, a lot of people live to be married a long time, but in their culture, a marriage as long as Dan and Barbara's just didn't happen because people didn't live as long back then. Uh, so we have to put things in their context. Every verse is connected to every other verse. And imagine verse 11 uh, as a translation of verse 11 to be something more like this. I have big plans for your future. But for the next 70 years, you'll be in captivity. And most of you will not come back to this land. Most of you will die in Babylon. But trust me, believe in me, because I will bring back many of your sons and daughters and grandchildren because I have great plans for the future of this nation. Do you see the difference between what is an appropriate interpretation and what our culture often, our Christian culture often uses as an interpretation of that verse. I, all the time, people quote that verse at uh, Christian high school and Christian college graduation because God has great plans for us. Yes, he does. But remember what the Apostle Paul said? God's plans for me, I have learned how to abound and how to be abased, and I can do either one because Christ strengthens me. See, we don't have a guarantee that life will always be good. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we can uh, understand the Bible accurately if we look at the verses in context. That's the first rule of context is what comes before and what comes after and how are they connected together. The second rule is that each verse is connected with every other verse in that book of the Bible. With every other verse in that book of the Bible. All right, I'm gonna lift a verse out of Ecclesiastes. We'll put it on the screen. A couple of verses. It says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives and, and also that man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It's a gift of God. Okay, what does that sound like? Eat, drink, and be merry, right? I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. Well, yeah, that's what we should do. That's what God's word says. Okay, that's what one verse says. It's not what God's word teaches. In fact, there was a guy in the New Testament who said that exact thing. He said, I'm just going to eat and drink and be merry. And Jesus had a specific word that he used to call that man. He called him a fool because he was not generous toward God and did not follow his accountability to God. Jesus called that man who said, eat, drink, and be merry. He said, you're a fool. So what Solomon wrote in that verse is not what that book actually teaches. Each verse is connected with every other verse 
in that book of the Bible. So when you're reading through Ecclesiastes, you actually learn that Solomon is writing from a different perspective. He's not writing from the perspective we use here. He's writing from the perspective of what he calls life under the sun, like the sun in the sky, life under the sun, uh, meaning life without the knowledge of God. And that's how he writes most of Ecclesiastes is, if there were no God, then life's pointless and meaningless and, and uh, wearying. And he, he writes it saying, I tried all this other stuff and nothing satisfied. It's all vanity. It's all vexing. Uh, nothing nurtures my soul. And, but then he gets down to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and he draws some significant conclusions and thoughts that he teaches. Uh, the first verse of chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes says, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. See, if, if you, some of you are young kids and some of you are teenagers and some of you are younger adults and, uh, you know, I mean, compared to some of the people in this room, I'm a younger adult, but... Um, when, when we look at the scripture and we see what, what uh, Solomon is writing here, he said, hey, the younger you are when you start following God, the l fewer regrets you'll have later on. Amen. And, and you'll have people that didn't follow the Lord. I got, had the opportunity to lead a man who was 78 years old. I led him to Christ. And after he trusted Christ, a couple weeks later, we had a conversation. And he said, all those years, I wasted all those years. If he'd started younger and he trusted Christ, he would have had fewer regrets. Um, and then Solomon doesn't even end there. He gets down to the nitty gritty at the final verses of Ecclesiastes. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Read that part that's uh, highlighted with me. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God's going to bring. So here's the conclusion, Solomon said. Not eat, drink, and be merry, but fear God and keep his commandments. Now. Did Solomon do that? Not very well. And see, Solomon's not a hypocrite saying, look, you got to do this, but I don't have to. Do as I say, not as I do. No, I think Solomon's writing it from the perspective of a guy who really regrets the emptiness of the choices he pursued in his life and how they were empty and they were vain and they didn't bring satisfaction and we need to fear God in the days of your youth. And I kind of picture Solomon when he's writing chapter 12 verse one and talking about when the evil days come, I picture Solomon say, do it when you're young so that when you're old like me, you don't have the regrets that I have to live with. See, we got to put it together. You can't just lift a verse out. Each verse is connected with every other verse in that book of the Bible. It's interconnected. In fact, much of the New Testament, the, the books were actually written as letters 
from one person or a couple of people, sometimes Paul has Sosthenes and Timothy helping him write it, but from one person or a couple of people to one person or a group of people. Sometimes the believers in a certain city or uh, sometimes believers everywhere, as, as Peter wrote to kind of Christians at large, uh, he wanted this message to go out to all of them. Uh, and sometimes it was just to one person where Paul wrote a letter to Philemon and to Timothy and to Titus and, and those are included in the scripture. Somebody sent a funny meme. Uh, a guy was saying, I read, yeah, I have read my Bible. And the girl says, I don't believe you've read your Bible. So name four books of the Bible. And the guy said, John. John wrote four books. <laughs> The Gospel of John, the letter of 1st John, the letter of 2nd John, the letter of 3rd John. I thought that was pretty funny. I have nothing to do with the message. Sorry about that. Each verse is connected with every other verse. Not everything the pastor says is connected with this message, unfortunately. All right, context rule number three is that each verse is historically connected with other verses from that time period. See, the Bible was not written in our day. It was written in their day. The Bible actually was not written to you. It was written for you. You can learn and grow and change, but it wasn't written to you. So uh, there's some of the prophets. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament includes 39 books, and the last 17 books are called the prophets, the first few are called the major prophets because the books are a little bit longer, uh, even though um, um, Lamentations isn't as long. Uh, it was written by Jeremiah, so they put it with the book of Jeremiah and include it with the major prophets because Jeremiah did write a really long one. And then uh, you have after the major prophets, after you get past Daniel, then you have the minor prophets and their books are short. In fact, uh, most Bibles, the the book of Obadiah just fits on one page. It, it, you don't even have to turn the page to read the whole thing unless you're reading from a large print. And so, uh, we, they, but they put them in this order. It was grouped in this way. So when you're reading through the Bible, you get to Genesis and then you finish the, the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, also called the books of the law. And by the way, the Sadducees, that was their scripture, just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't have any of the other scriptures. The Pharisees included uh, the whole Old Testament in, in the day in which Christ lived. They, they were supposed to follow the whole thing, but they did a lousy job of understanding it and following it. So as you're reading along, you get to Joshua and then Judges, and what comes next? First and second, well, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and I left one out, that's okay. I'm, I wanna get to the histories. I'm too eager to get there. Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Some of the Kings and some of the Chronicles have the same stories, a little more detail in one and the other, but the minor prophets and the major prophets they were alive during those days of history. So if you've ever read a chronological Bible, you can buy them or download them. And the chronological Bible puts the verses in the book of Isaiah into the histories of when Isaiah was serving with a king in Israel. 
because it's not like it came later in history, even though it comes later in the scripture. And, and in the New Testament, uh, you re- read the uh, messages from Matthew and John and Peter. They were contemporaries with Jesus. They were disciples. They served with Jesus. They were apostles. And then the apostle Paul came later, and Paul served. But Paul talks about Peter, and he talks about James, and he talks about John Mark, who's the writer of the book of Mark. And uh, Peter talks about Paul and calls him his beloved brother Paul. Not that they were biological brothers, but they were brothers in the Lord. And so there's a connectedness historically. uh, And we need to see that connectedness when we come to Scripture and realize When I'm reading in the book of history, or I'm reading in the prophets, they fit together. And there's tools that you can use to help you understand that better that way, but each verse is historically connected. Further, each verse is connected with all the other verses on that subject throughout scripture. There's lots of verses on different subjects. I I like to use this illustration in Matthew 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you're going to pray, get alone, get quiet, just you and God, and you pray to your Father, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And And Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers, and he said, pray without ceasing. So, you know, if these are the only two thoughts you have about prayer, you're going to enter into your private place. You're going to get completely alone in a closet or in a room all by yourself. You're going to shut the door. You're going to start praying. You're going to pray without ceasing. What's going to eventually happen? You'll die in that closet. Okay? That's not everything the Bible says about prayer. So when we say pray without ceasing, there's supposed to be an attitude of prayer, a thoughtfulness of prayer. Uh, Like uh, a husband and wife can talk without ceasing. Have you ever been around somebody who talked without ceasing? (laughs) Okay, that's not exactly what you want to have happen. You want them to speak and listen and speak and listen and really listen, not just listen so they can say the next thing they want to say. Uh, So, uh, if those were the only two verses we had, we might think it was inappropriate to have prayer here in church. When John prayed, he wasn't alone in his closet. (gasps) John! (laughs) That's okay. Jesus even prayed in public. And it records some of his prayers in scripture. When uh, at the gravesite of Lazarus, he prayed aloud and a large group of people were there. There's appropriate times to pray aloud and appropriate times to play, pray on your own. And uh, what God wants is you to have a heart of prayer to him. So don't take one verse on prayer and say, that's the way it has to be in everything. Like Jesus said, um, the model prayer sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. He said, after this manner, pray. And then he taught them to pray. And there are people, we had a guy who came to our church, he said, you know, I, I love your church, I love the teaching, I love the music, he said, but, but you don't say the Lord's Prayer every service, and you have to, because Jesus said you had to. <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what the apostles did. That's not how Paul framed his prayers that are written in scripture. It's a model. 
to teach us the process of praying. So we have to look at all the scriptures and and all the teaching and prayer throughout all the scriptures in order to really understand what prayer is about. Hey, that's easier to do today than it's ever been at any time in history. It's really easy to search things. So uh, the, the fifth rule of context is that each verse is also connected with the overall teaching of scripture. There's a popular evangelist who preaches and holds healing services all over the world. And he said that Adam and Eve, when God gave them dominion, that meant they could do everything uh, the animals and creatures could do. So Adam and Eve could fly and they could swim underwater without having to come up for breath and, and they could run faster than a cheetah. And he said, because God gave them dominion so they could, he could do everything. And he said, Adam was probably the first man on the moon. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not even what the word dominion means. Dominion means authority, not ability. They had authority over the animals. Didn't mean they could do everything the animals could do. Wouldn't it be kind of awesome if you could jump like a grasshopper? Yeah, yeah, but if you looked like one, it wouldn't be quite so cool, would it? Uh, see, uh, there are advantages and trade-offs to being human, right? And so what, what the Bible teaches is that Adam and Eve were people just like us. Now, he, they were a little different in that they had perfect bodies, perfect brains, perfect souls, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God. Now, none of those things lasted, but that's how they started out. We didn't even start out that way. So Adam and Eve were people like us. You can't make up your own stuff. You need to read God's word and put things together accurately. Now, let me give you another illustration of this. Um, Psalm 22 begins with some of the words that Jesus cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, um, in Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34, they quote Jesus on the cross saying those very words. Now, I'm gonna share something that's commonly taught, but it's not biblically accurate. So please don't say amen, okay? Even if, what, even if you think this next thing is accurate, don't say amen, because I'm gonna explain that it's really not, okay? So maybe you've heard a commentary or read a commentary or heard a sermon that said, God had to turn away, God the Father had to turn away from God the Son because uh, God is so righteous and holy that he cannot look on sin and Jesus Christ became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So the Father had to turn away from Jesus because Jesus had taken our sins on himself. That sounds kind of spiritual and kind of nice, and, but it's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's inconsistent with other passages like Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. Psalm 139 teaches that God is watching you every moment of every day, okay? If you are honestly and truthfully perfect every moment, every day, please sit down. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. You were thinking I was gonna say stand up, but I was already standing so I couldn't. Okay, nobody's perfect, nobody. 
So you can't say you're absolutely perfect. So if God's watching you over you every moment, every day, he's gonna see something that he wants to correct. In fact, Hebrews 12 says, God will then discipline his children when they behave badly. When do parents discipline their kids for misbehaving? When they see it. When they learn about it. If the kids snuck off and did something the parents never learned, the kids didn't get disciplined for that thing by the parents. God may still do it but the human mom and dad didn't know. So God observes and God interacts. So don't try and make up stuff when you're reading the scripture. We need to learn it and understand it appropriately. Okay, uh, jump down to that last slide. Seeking truth, avoiding error. Every scripture is interconnected, everyone. Do you have to follow these rules in precise and, and detailed order? No. You don't even have to write them all down and memorize them, but you have to understand when it comes to the Bible, you have to look at the connectedness of what you're teaching, of what you're reading, of what you're understanding, of how you're applying it into your life. Because there's a lot of truth in the Bible, but there's a lot of people who take that truth and then distort it and they teach it incorrectly. Do we do it perfectly? No, not perfectly. But here's the promise that we have made as a church, that if we ever teach something incorrectly, then we will publicly admit it once we learn it was incorrect. We will publicly correct it. We won't just let it go because we're all accountable to God. And we do our best to make sure every teacher, every Bible teacher, every Iwana lesson, every Sunday school class, every junior church lesson, every sermon, those preached by people in our church and those by guest speakers, we make every effort to make sure they're all aligning with Scripture, accurately interpreted Scripture, because we all answer to God. And someday we're going to give accountability to Him. And so we want to be able to do it well. Now, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're probably thinking, boy, they sure talk a lot, don't they? <laughs> or at least one does. Well, let me tell you this. God holds us accountable for what his word says. And some of that accountability is easy. God loves you. Isn't it kind of easy to be loved by God? You don't have to do anything to be loved by God. You just have to enjoy it. But some of it's harder, and we need to trust and follow Him. Our purpose as a church is that we work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's what we need to do. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.